hear the word of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray this morning that, this, that your word would be clearly heard and, and seen this morning, that we might see you clearer and more beautiful this morning. Uh, your grace shown to us in the beauty of the truth in this passage, Lord, I pray that it would be no less than transforming. And so, Lord, help us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going through this series we're calling Therefore. And it's, it's kind of a pivotal point in the book of Romans. The, the Apostle Paul has described and laid out uh, the, the depth and nature of sin and a holy God that would pour out his wrath upon sin and his judgment. But in his grace, he sent his son Jesus to die as an atoning sacrifice for that sin so that we might be uh, declared righteous and perfect in his eyes. And so uh, in, in at this point, in the, he turns and he's kind of saying, okay, if you're a believer, if you've come to know Christ, now what? And when we started this series, I, I mentioned uh, that uh, there has been some research done and, and they discovered that there is over $58 billion dollars at least at the time of one study, of unclaimed funds and benefits that people have in just the state and local and federal government. And I think that a lot of Christians are there. We have these unclaimed benefits because we don't are not aware of the full reality and the full scope of God's blessing for us. And so, this therefore is now what for us as Christians? And so what have we gotten to so far? Because I want us to track through, make sure we're getting the logic and the flow of what's happening here in this passage. And the first thing we saw in this passage was that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we looked back at Paul's teaching on, on what we call justification, which is that because Jesus came and lived, lived a perfect life we could never live as covenant breakers and rebellion against God, he lived a perfect life we could never live. And he went and he died a death on our behalf, a death that we perfectly deserved, so that now we can stand in his place and not be condemned. And so this word condemnation, no condemnation, means we are fully acquitted, that the, there's no guilt, it's a not guilty verdict, and all the judgment and punishment of God was spent on His Son and not on us. There is therefore now no condemnation. And then we saw that it is the Holy Spirit who comes into us, literally comes into our hearts and connects us with that work of Jesus. That Holy Spirit takes that work done 2,000 years ago and unites us with it and with Christ 
and we're going to see more of that today, unites us with Christ so that what he did is applied to us. We become interlocked and connected with him. So his life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And so that's what we saw there. And then we saw in the next week, last week, that it was... Uh, in the spirit that now as people who are not condemned, who are now in, in union with Christ and, and, and the Holy Spirit's indwelling us, that we should now no longer walk according to the flesh, but we should walk according to the spirit. And we said walking according to the flesh is walking in, in autonomy and self-sufficiency. That we would say, God, I don't want you to tell me what to do, and I'm going to do this on my own. That's walking in the flesh at its heart. And we said the reverse of that is... Humble obedience and humble reliance. And so the question then remains, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we turn from our our selfish autonomy and our self-sufficiency and our running away from God, how do we turn from that and go into putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? What does that look like? And Paul gives us the answer. He's moving along, and that's where we land Right here. And we get the most remarkable phrase. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, before you think I'm being chauvinist or Paul's being chauvinist here, he's making a point. We'll get into this a little bit deeper in a little bit. But he's not saying, he's saying sons. He's he's not saying children here. He's saying sons, which is in, in in the history of that part of the church, uh, or it, it, part of the time of the world, that the inheritance always went to a firstborn son. And that is the privilege that is being laid out here, is that we would be adopted as firstborn sons. And the crazy thing about it is, is it includes male and female. Poor, rich, everybody. We'll get into that as well. So, how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we do that? Well, it's, it's about living out the realities of this adoption. And, and Paul gives us a lot of realities here. We're not going to hit them all tonight or today. But he gives us three realities that come forth out of this teaching that we are adopted by God. So let's take a look at these one at a time. So first of all, there's a binding legal reality. A binding legal reality. Here in Romans 8, as well, as well as actually, there's a lot of other places throughout the New Testament. It's actually quite a, a, a broad teaching throughout the New Testament. Is that um, not only in the gospel are we forgiven, which is awesome. Not only that, are, not only are we declared not guilty before God. Not only are we given His righteous record, His righteous life. But we are also adopted by God as his sons and daughters. It is the most amazing, radical teaching. And we see it here right here in Romans. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So what what does this mean? How do you become a son of God? Well, it's a larger teaching that God takes us who are not his children. 
Now, there is a teaching out there, a broader liberal teaching that would say that everybody's a child of God. But that is not the teaching of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the teaching of the New Testament, Paul gives us like in Ephesians chapter 2, we are by nature children of wrath. We're not children of God. We're children of wrath and judgment because Adam and Eve rebelled against us and we rejected our sonship. We rejected God. We became his enemies. And now, in the glorious teaching of the gospel is that we are now adopted. What does that mean? That is, it's, we know it today. It's very similar today. But they would likely look back to the, to, to the time that Paul would be referring to in the, in the Roman Empire. When it was quite a common practice, not just for people to take a child, but other grown men into their family to become the heir, say they didn't have children. They would adopt a new heir. And that would be a legal process in which that person would become the legal uh, heir and the legal um, adopted son of that family. And it's the same process today. We did it several... uh, Gosh, 15, 16 years ago, I don't know exactly how, how many years ago, when uh, I married Amanda, um, her son Ashton was like five at the time. When we got married six months later, I adopted him. And we went to a courtroom, and it was a lot different, I thought. I thought we'd be standing there with the court guy, but he was at a desk. And it was great at time, whatever. But it was a process. And, we, and basically, he wanted to know some questions about me. He's like, are you going to take responsibility for this man? Are you going to take ownership? Not that you would own him, but you would take ownership and responsibility. And would he be, your, he's going to be your heir. So when you leave an inheritance, it's going to be huge. You know, I'm going to be a huge inheritance. I'm going to leave huge. Um, when you leave that huge inheritance, he's going to get it all. Right? It might be debt. But, but it's a legal process in which Ashton, who was not my son, becomes my son. And that's what's being described here. Is that we now have the right as sons. Firstborn son. It is a legal right now. And it's granted to us by God in adoption. We see it in another place in John chapter twelve. Uh, excuse me, John chapter one, verse twelve. He says, "But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God." So, how do we become children of God? It's by faith and receiving the gospel. We get the rights to become children of God, and so. The image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based completely, at least at this aspect, on a legal act by the Father. One author, by the name of Tim Keller, puts it this way. I think this is, this really, can you bring up Tim Keller for me? This really brings up an amazing truth here. He says, you did not win a father. You did not negotiate for a parent. Adoption is a legal act on the part of the father. It is very expensive and costly only for him. There is nothing the son does to win or earn the status. It is simply received. And here's the thing. What's even more remarkable about 
God's adoption of us is that normally when you adopt someone, you adopt them based on some merit that they may have. They're cute or whatever. They're little and they're, oh, you know, and they, they, you know, they're going to add value to your family or something like that. And that's not the case with God. God, and he, he chose to adopt us in our weakness, in our fallenness, our brokenness. He chose to adopt us in our rebellion, in our sin. He chose to adopt us not because we were endearing and loved Him and because we could do the right things. He adopted us as His enemies. And it's a remarkable truth that's displayed in the Gospel. Can't help but remind me of King David when he took the throne after King Saul died in 2 Samuel. And as he became king, he he, he wondered, is there any lineage from... From Saul and, and my friend, my, my friend Jonathan, is there anybody left? And they said, yes. They're, you don't want to know them, though. You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to have, yeah, you don't want to. His name is Mephibosheth. And he's handicapped. He just begs at the city gates. And David says, go get him. He will dine at my table forever. And the thing is, the risk involved with that, because he would be a descendant of King Saul, and Saul, who may have had uh, sympathizers, and, and people who would maybe rather have a, a descendant of Saul instead of him as a king, he would take him as an enemy to his table. And it is a picture of what God does for us. So, so first of all, a binding legal reality. And secondly, it's a loving relational reality. A loving relational reality. So in the, the gracious act of adoption, God draws us into a new special relationship with Him. So we are no longer enemies of God. But we're also no longer just slaves and servants of God. Let me explain what I'm getting at here. He says this in Romans 8, 15. Verse 15 here, he says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's two things I want you all to see in this, this, little, this one verse here. First of all, we are no longer receiving a spirit of slavery where we were before. So he's saying that there is, that we were in a spirit of slavery before. We talked about that. That spirit of bondage that we were in. Outside of Christ, we had two options. Remember, is to try to please God by trying to do his law, but we can't fulfill all his law, or to kind of go off and do it on our own. And both of those would result in some type of failure. But here's the thing. It's not that God has just forgiven us now, and it's now in, in the gospel, now it's for us to now turn and start living a better life. Like when I became a Christian, that's what I thought. I believed the gospel. I believed that I was forgiven. I believed all my sins were forgiven. I thought, that's great. That's awesome. But now, I've got I to gotta make sure I keep my life together, make sure i got everything going the right way, or else God's not going to like me anymore and I'm going to get kicked out of this thing, you know? I really felt like that for a really long time. 
And he's saying, guys, we did not receive a, a spirit of slavery that leads us back into fear, but we have received a spirit of adoption. We are now his sons. We're in this new relationship. A relationship we don't have to continue to earn and to continue to achieve. When you're a son, you can't lose your son or you're a daughter. You can't stop being that. As much as my kids make me want to wring their necks sometimes. You know what I'm saying? When, I mean, when they, even when they were little, you know, they would, you know, go into the pantry and get into the, the, um, the what was it, pancake mix and make pancakes in the, in the pantry. And you're just like, ah, I want to wring your neck, but you're still my son. And there's nothing you can do to change that. There's a, there's a, Jesus tells a, a story in Luke chapter 15, very familiar story. It's a story of a son who, who, who wants to take his inheritance early and, and, and reject his father. And he goes off and lives and squanders the money and he, he wastes it in, in wild living. And then you see him, he's in this pit of misery. He's, he's a Jew having to feed, uh, he's in this muck of, of, of pig feed and he's feeding the pigs. And he says, you know what, there's got to be something better than this. Maybe I'll go back to my father and I'll make a deal. And he says this in verses 18 and 19. You have it? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And he was right. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. How many of us come into our faith and say, I believe you, uh, he's coming back. He's like, I, I want to be forgiven, but I will work for you as a slave. That's his deal he's going to make with God. And guess what? The father ain't going to have any of that. His father runs out to him. And before he can get these words out of his mouth, he embraces him. He hugs him. He kisses him. And in the party of celebrating, his son who was gone has now returned. That's the relationship we're in. Hey, Bobby, you shut that door behind you over there. Thanks. This is how God loves us. We are his sons and daughters now. We are in now a new relationship. There's another thing we see in this verse. At the heart of this relationship is a cry. It's a cry out to God. It says, we, we haven't received a spirit of slavery, again, to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And, and the language here is very intentional. It's looking back to, to, to likely how Jesus himself referred to the Father. When he says, when we, and teaches us the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and we tend to make that really holy and regal, our Father, that kind of thing. But what he's saying is, is this word Abba, which is my Father. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, I'm not sure it goes to the point of Daddy. There's a lot of debate about, does this mean Daddy? It doesn't matter. It is a sense of, you are my Father. And there's a sense of intimacy and a cry of help is the word here. To cry out in, in, in need and in help. And maybe even desperation for your father, for help. Jesus made the same cry to 
the end of his life, in Matthew 26, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, my father, if there's anything, any way, let this cup pass from me. And that's the same language that we are given. And you think about the remarkable nature of that. Because if you go back in the Old Testament, when people come face to face with God, there's not this sense of endearment and this sense of crying out to Abba, Father. Like, for example, Isaiah, uh, when he met God in Isaiah chapter 6, and he sees the temple there, and God is on his throne, and the temple is shaking, and there's smoke and fire, and he's, and he's powerful beings crying out holy 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 what is his response kill me woe is me i am undone but we are we cry out as adopted sons and daughters we cry out abba and this flows out of one of the most glorious truths of the gospel that we are now talked about this We are now connected in union with Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and we spiritually become in connection with Christ. So now, everything that is true about Jesus is true about you. Did you hear that? Everything that is true about Jesus is true about you. So if you're wondering and if you fear that God would turn his back on you, that he would reject you, then you can ask him, would he do that to his son, Jesus? And the answer is no. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And this is how the life he lived is now our life. The death he died is now our death. And the resurrection that he lives, we will live. That is the truth taught in this passage. And so we cry out, Abba, Father. And let me tell you, this is a powerful transforming reality so it's a legal binding reality it's a loving relational reality but it's a it's a powerful transforming reality for us Uh, there's a pastor little church in dothan alabama i heard him tell a story when he and his wife went to adopt they went to the um former soviet union to they, they they were matched up with two twin boys and part of the process with the Russian government was they, they were to go to Russia and visit these two young little boys, like one-year-old boys, I think about, about one or so years old. And they were to visit several times and, and make sure this was going to be what they were going to do. And, and so they would visit. And, and he said one of the things about it was, I mean, this, this orphanage, he said, was horrific. I mean, the smells, I mean, it was just, the, the, it was heartbreaking. And he said, but that was not the most shocking thing. He said the most shocking thing about this orphanage was um, the silence. He said it was, it was a deafening silence. He's like, you go to, he's like, go to our children's, little children's ministry in our church, or you go any house with babies, and it, you, it is not silent. If anything, it's not silent. The only time it's silent is when they're all asleep. And even then, it might not be happening. And he said, but in this orphanage, it was silent. And they just could not figure out that it was just the strangest thing. And, so, and then, he, and then, it real, then after a few visits, they realized, and especially as interacting with these children, is that these children had gotten so used to not being heard. They had been so used to, to crying out 
and nobody answers, that they had just given up. And I, I wonder, is a part of the bondage and our sin and death? He's talking about this very much, this very reality here. Have we come to believe that God doesn't listen anymore? That God can't hear us anymore? And so why pray? Why cry out to Him? Why try? But here, we're told, as sons and daughters of God, we cry out. We cry out, Abba, Father. And here's the thing. This is where life and our growth as Christians becomes transformed. When we reject the re, the, the, this idea that God doesn't hear us, that he, we can't approach Him, He's too holy or He's too righteous or whatever, or we're not good enough. When we reject those lies and we come to Him and we cry out to Him in humble obedience and reliance, that is walking in the Spirit that He's talked about here. And so our growth is transformed. We no longer have to trudge along as slaves and servants trying to please God. But we step into His presence already pleased. And we we begin to enjoy the power of that relationship. And and there's more to it here because in verse 17, it says, If we are children, we are now heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So in other words, if indeed we are adopted... As firstborn sons, then everything that belongs to those firstborn sons belongs to us. So everything that God has. And the last thing I last time I checked, it was everything. He owns it all. He owns the universe. Everything that he owns is yours. And he delights into giving us what we need. Later on in verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If he wouldn't spare his own son, Jesus, why wouldn't he give us all things? That's what Paul says. And so we know that the full treasure trove of God's resources and power are at our fingertips. And so we go and we cry out, Abba, Father. We're going to later see. We don't even know what the words are saying. So the Spirit comes in and and pleads with us with groanings that we can't even say. We just come and we just cry out. Our kids sometimes don't even know what they want, but they know to cry. This is how we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. As sons and daughters, we have what we need to defeat the flesh, that autonomy and self-sufficiency. We cry out. We cry out, Abba, Father. And so we are no longer in this spirit of slavery and fear, but we have access to God. So the rest of that story is cool to this family. And as they, uh, we were visiting, I think they had five visits with these two children. And over that time, these children got to, to really... Love, and they just very quickly built a relationship with these kids who were just starved for love, starved for, for relationship. But they had to leave. They had to, they had to leave so that the final paperwork and all the stuff would finally happen. And he said it was, it, was, it was excruciating. He said they had to walk away from these two little kids. 
and he said, as they, as they, I mean, they were, they were crying. I mean, they were just, he said, a mess. And he says, they walked out of that room. He said, one of those boys fell back on his back and let out a wail that just shook him to his core. And he said, however, though that kid began to wail, he said, that is amazing. This kid who had forgotten what it's like to cry out and actually have somebody hear you has now come to a place where he could cry out knowing somebody would hear him. That's where we are. We haven't received a spirit of slavery whereby, but we cry out, spirit of, we have a spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. This is one of the most transforming realities for us as a Christian. J.I. Packer says, if, if, you know, if you want to test somebody's Christianity, ask them where they are in terms of God as their father and their relationship to him as a son or a daughter. And, and, and you can just tell by that whether or not they know very much about Christianity at all. This is central to our faith. Heard another story. Man named John, I think Acuff. He was a student at Covenant College up in uh, Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and he told his testimony. He said that when he was um, growing up, from the, from the earliest memories, he could remember that his mom and his dad constantly let him know that he was not wanted, he was not loved, and that he was just a waste of resources. And over the years, he was so unwanted, he went to aunts and uncles who didn't want him. He went to other people that didn't want him. And by the age of 11 years old, was homeless and found a, an old car to live in, in a, an old abandoned car in the middle of this big field that was overgrown. 11 years old. And, and he recalls that one day, he was there hungry, and, and he was sitting behind the wheel of this old rusted out car, and, and, he, and he thought to himself, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not worth anything. Maybe I shouldn't be wanted. And he, and he looked over and there happened to be in the floorboard of that old car, an old Bible. And he grabbed that Bible and he opened it. And guess where it opened up to? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified. He said out loud in that car, say, God, I, want, I would love to be your son. I, would, I want you to be my daddy. But here's the thing. You don't have to tell anybody. I know, you know, I know you, you don't have to tell anybody. I don't want to bring bad things to your name. I don't want to be ashamed to you. But I would love to be your son. And he said, he heard God say to him, he wasn't sure if it was audible or not. 
He heard the voice of God say to him, I want you to be my son. And I want everybody to know it. I want you to tell everybody you meet that you are my son. See in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, God having predestined us to the adoption as children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. We are told that before we are even in existence, before this world was in existence, God planned our adoption as sons and daughters. And it was because He wanted to. The pleasure of His will. That is the glorious truth of adoption. And it will transform you. So let me ask you this. If you're... If you have never received that adoption, if you've never received the, the Spirit of Christ, do it now. Like John Acuff in that back in the middle of that field in that old rusted out car. The call is, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. How do you get it? We've already seen it. For those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become. Sons and daughters. Believe it. Trust it. Receive it. You can't do it yourself. It's something you have to take. Receive it now. And for those of you who are in Christ, cling on to this truth. Make this at the center of your faith that you would live as God's son and daughter. That you would cry out to Him all the time. Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. You don't know what to do. Abba, Father. You're confused. You're afraid. You're, 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 you're struggling. You're struggling with sin. You're, you feel like God would reject you. You cry out to Him. Abba, Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this truth. It should be powerfully humbling that we would be called sons. Firstborn sons with your son Jesus. Fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs of God. And so Father I pray. That we would rest. And cling to this truth. Rest in and cling to this truth Lord. Help us to do that. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we here at Vintage Grace. We celebrate.